They were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures, and then retreated back into the money or their vast carelessness, or whatever it was that kept them together, and let other people clean up the mess they had made. Puny proletarian! One percent smash! You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello, and welcome to Outside of a Dog's episode on F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. My name is Jonas. Uh, I did not change that name when I was 17. It has always been the same. And I'm The Great Christian. Hi. So, Jonas, like last time, a story about a con artist and the life he has. Um, so why? Why again? Because I'm saying goodbye to my 20s, but also in the novel, the last day where it all comes to an end, the narrator, Nick Carraway, realizes, I just remembered that today is my birthday. I was 30 before me stretched the portentous, menacing road of a new decade. And as I am at the start of this menacing decade of the 30s, looking back on my 20s and looking forward to the menacing 20s of the 21st century, I thought we should read this classic of the 1920s. The details of the characters' lives in The Great Gatsby have many things in common with the life of its author. Francis Scott Fitzgerald, just like Nick Carraway, was born in the Midwest to rich parents. Just like Gatsby, he fell in love with a southern belle, his future wife Zelda, and just like the characters, he had a lot of fun in the 20s, going to parties, living the life of the rich and the famous, being part of that famous lost generation of American writers after the First World War, partly spending his life in Paris with other famous authors like Ernest Hemingway or Gertrude Stein. However, that life took its toll. Zelda developed schizophrenic tendencies. Fitzgerald treated her not very nicely, but he had enough problems of his own. He became an alcoholic and died very young at the age of 44. You said he had a lot of fun in the 20s, though maybe he didn't, or maybe also his characters don't have that much fun. There is a lot of partying in the book. Nick Carraway moves to West Egg, a suburb of New York on Long Island, where the nouveau riche, the up-and-coming, live. And he lives next to the huge neo-Gothic mansion of J. Gatsby, the great Gatsby of the book's title. Gatsby is obsessed with Daisy, a girl he fell in love with when he was just about to ship out to Europe for World War I. Daisy, in the meantime, has married a man called Tom Buchanan, and Gatsby bought the house in West Egg because it's exactly across the bay from the Buchanan's house. He throws wild and lavish parties, hoping that Daisy might attend one of them by chance, but he spends them looking across the bay at a green light at the end of Daisy's dock, wishing for her to be there. They eventually meet, with some help from Nick, our narrator, but things don't go rather well. Instead of the loving reunion that Gatsby had dreamed of for the past five years, chaos ensues. In the end, Tom's lover, Myrtle, is run over by Daisy in Gatsby's car, and Myrtle's husband shoots Gatsby and then himself. Spoiler alert for a book that came out in 1925. The book came out to mixed reviews. Fitzgerald himself was severely disappointed by its lack of success because he had hoped that it would catapult him into the stratosphere and make him a respected novelist. It only became successful after his death and now is one of those books that is generally seen as the prime candidate 
for the great American novel. And it is often assigned in both high school and college classes. And in fact, it was assigned to me in a class on different approaches to literary criticism. Though I have to confess that actually I never read it when I was supposed to read it in that class in 2012. So, Dr. Minslow, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll probably cut this out. Now, the book is seen as the maybe the great American novel, because it seems to be about, well, America. It is often seen as dealing with the topic of the American dream, this nebulous but still very powerful concept that to this day is the core of what makes America special, what makes Americans tick differently from the rest of the world. You could say what people say makes America great, possibly again. Is that what The Great Gatsby is about? Well, I don't think so. In fact, many observers think that Fitzgerald deals mainly with the kind of dark sides of the American dream. To summarize it very briefly, the American dream is this idea that you have the new world where no matter where you're from, if you work hard enough, you can basically achieve anything you want. Everyone has the same start. And in the end, those who deserve it will get fame, fortune, the pursuit of happiness, whatever their hearts desire. This is a little bit there in the story of Jay Gatsby, who grew up poor, a farm boy from the Midwest, and through hard work and luck became a millionaire and basically seems to have the perfect life. He has a wonderful house, he throws lavish parties, but at the same time he's deeply unhappy. There's just one thing he wants, and that is Daisy. Also, he didn't really achieve his wealth through hard work, did he? Because it is revealed that he earned most of his money through crime. He is a bootlegger. Remember, this is set in the 1920s, 1922 to be precise. Yet there is an enormous amount of drinking going on all the time. Whiskey, gin, champagne, what have you. It's rather reminiscent of how novels from the 80s or 90s would feature mountains of cocaine nonchalantly. It's illegal, but yeah, everyone does it. And Gatsby made his fortune as a bootlegger smuggling in alcohol from Canada. Also, one of his closest associates is Mayor Wolfsheim, who is basically the fictional equivalent to Arnold Rothstein, an infamous 1920s gangster who also is responsible for fixing the 1919 World Series in our world, basically. So Gatsby is, at best... A good friend of gangsters. So Fitzgerald sort of undercuts the American dream by saying the only way you could actually achieve it is through being a criminal, and even then you can't really achieve it. In the final confrontation between Tom and Gatsby, it's all about Gatsby being a nouveau riche millionaire who doesn't belong to the club. So if you achieve the American dream, which you can only do through illicit means, that still doesn't mean that the other rich people, the ones who are old money, old as balls, will accept you. Absolutely. And what is more, the American dream that seems to be focused on idealistic values like a better life for your children and following your heart's desire or your destiny even, here it's all materialistic. It's nice houses, it's cars, it's polo ponies. Cars in particular, 
have you noticed how often cars play a role? How important, for example, Gatsby's car is, the yellow car that kills Myrtle Wilson? It's incredible that basically cars seem to be the secondary cast of characters, almost as important as the actual human beings in the novel. Or more important than some of the human beings. And that's actually something I would like to talk about, because there are definitely two kinds of characters in a novel. There are well-drawn, rounded, complex characters, and there are women. Because the women in this novel really get a raw deal, don't they? On the one hand, yes, they do get a raw deal. Daisy, in particular, often seems to be portrayed as just a spoiled brat. A passive, whiny thing that the men are arguing over and that cannot make her mind up and that is basically happy in her gilded cage situation. She tells Nick that she hopes her daughter will become a fool because that is the best thing a girl can be, a beautiful fool. But I actually think that this is a point of criticism because Fitzgerald is very, very, and I was surprised by that, he's woke, so to say. He, for example, shows Tom's ridiculous racist ideas about the Nordic race. Almost immediately, the first thing we hear Tom say is that the Nordic race is in danger of being exterminated and that other races are going to take over. The shit that Tom comes out with sounds exactly like the kind of thing you would hear on identitarian Twitter feeds. But that's the thing, it is portrayed as shit. And Tom is not just portrayed as a shit because he's racist, but also because he's a misogynist. At one point, he has an argument with his lover, Myrtle, and then he just slaps her in the face, breaking her nose. This is definitely portrayed as a negative aspect of Tom's character, and we're meant to judge him for it. Though it is also interesting that the violence against women is treated in such a callous uh, way and is almost shrugged off. But I think, again, that this is part of the criticism. The way that it's described, that the sentence just says, and then he breaks her nose. That shows how horrible it really is, that in this setting it is seen as something that's almost to be ignored. And I think there is a similar reason behind Daisy's portrayal. When Daisy wishes for her daughter to be a fool, that basically means she wants her to be something she isn't. Daisy is someone who's very well aware of her situation, but that doesn't mean that she can change something about that. And I also think the portrayal of the other female character that has something to do, basically. Jordan, the love interest of Nick Carraway, is interesting. Um, Nick basically talks about Jordan as someone who is a liar, a cheat. That's who she is. She cheats at golf, which she plays sort of professionally. And also, she sort of strings him along while actually she has a fiancé all along. But the thing is, Nick does the same thing. Nick has a fiancé or sort of fiancé back in Chicago. And in the end, Jordan calls him out on it. She says, harking back to a comment that Nick made, well, maybe I'm a bad driver. I'm a careless driver. But that's okay as long as I don't meet another careless driver. And apparently... I met a careless driver. So actually, the portrayal of the women in The Great Gatsby, while not as complex at first glance, is more complex than the kind of stereotype of the flapper or of the spoiled brat that you might think at first. Maybe my view on this is colored by my knowledge that Fitzgerald himself didn't have the best track record when it came to treating women. He basically stole from his wife, Zelda. He, without asking her, copied passages of her letters and her diaries verbatim for his own work. 
Including that quote I read out earlier, where Daisy hopes that her daughter will be a beautiful little fool. He also censored her first novel, and when she showed her schizophrenic tendencies, he had no qualms at all to just put her into an asylum and really not care about her that much anymore. But regardless of his own behavior, that the women in The Great Gatsby are just objects, and yes, they are often treated as objects, I don't think that is the fault of Fitzgerald as a writer. I think he, again, criticizes something in the way society and, again, the American dream see these women. I think you just said something really important. They are treated as objects, but that doesn't mean that they are objects. And ultimately, Daisy makes a decision. She makes a decision to stay with Tom rather than with Gatsby. So basically, Daisy tries to break out of her role of being forced to be this object of contention between these two men. It has disastrous consequences and she makes the choice of staying with the husband who can give her financial and social security. Basically, yes. And this shows us another thing that while the women are sometimes seen as kind of shallow and heartless, it's really the male characters who take away the cake. And that includes both Nick Carraway and Jay Gatsby. Though I would still say that to an extent... Daisy is presented as the root of all of Gatsby's troubles. He would have been a brilliant man, his dad says, if he hadn't been so infatuated with Daisy. And this sort of echoes uh, Hemingway's view of Fitzgerald and Zelda. Hemingway basically blamed Zelda for sapping Scott's creative juices or whatever bullshit he came up with. But again, Gatsby seems to be in love with more the idea of Daisy. Um, in fact, when he first describes meeting her, he talks more about her house, the mansion she lives in, than about her. That, again, links it back to the notion of the American dream. That the American dream, this ideal of striving towards something, of wanting something, is often a materialistic striving. And if you see this great love this wonderful woman is just another object uh, that you basically desire, then Gatsby is not really that great and his dream is not as idealistic as Nick, for example, paints it. Let's talk about the style. At the time, a critic described the novel as the first step forward in American literature since Henry James. So that is big praise. What would you say, Christian? Is the style all it's cracked up to be? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> I'm so glad you say that because I fucking hate it. You do? I do. I, I, I mark two passages that stand as examples for what I really don't like. I, I'll, I'll just uh, give you a taste. The only completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which two young women were buoyed up as though upon an anchored balloon. They were both in white and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had just been blown back in after a short flight around the house. Yeah, so they're sitting on the couch... They didn't fly around. We went on cutting back again over the park towards West Hundreds. At 158th Street, the cab stopped at one slice in a long white cake of apartment houses. He has this schoolboyish idea that he needs to express ordinary things like women sitting on a couch or a house in a row of similar looking houses in this florid, overdone and overcooked style, which is so off-putting to me because it doesn't fit the rest of the book. The rest of the book has a rather dry, you might say prosaic prose, and that's fine. But then sometimes there are these ridiculous flourishes 
And that's exactly the kind of thing that put me off, quote unquote, serious literature when I was young. So I really did not like the style. What do you dislike about it? I dislike your generalization about the style. First of all, I agree that especially the similes that Fitzgerald uses are quite uncommon. And I agree some of them are really, really out of place. They're tortured. Yeah, sometimes it seems that he is trying to give Raymond Chandler a run for his money. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that the rest of the book is very prosaic. I think that very lyrical style is there throughout the novel. And that is the reason why I wasn't sure about the style. Because in the beginning, I had the same feeling that I was kind of put off by those comparisons. The more often you read them, the more kind of functional they become. I think they are necessary to portray this ridiculous world. I, I think I might agree with you because I also found that as I went on, it got easier to read the book and I got less annoyed by the style. And maybe it's not that these similes and these florid expressions disappear. Maybe they just become less noticeable because they become smoother and just work better. As you say, they are necessary to portray this ridiculous world because it is a ridiculous world that these people inhabit. And that brings me to the second point about the style. We have another unreliable narrator because one of the things that Nick Carraway tells us in the very very beginning of the novel is basically, oh yeah, my dad taught me not to judge people, so I don't judge people. And then he spends the rest of the novel judging the hell out of every single one he meets. And he also says that he has only been drunk twice in his life, and the second time was at the time that he's talking about. But he drinks so much throughout the book, and there's goblets of champagne and all sorts of illegal alcoholic drinks that you think, Hang on a minute. And that, again, adds to the kind of unlikability of the characters that Nick, who is supposed to be this neutral observer of what is going on, of this ridiculous world and these ridiculous characters, he's just as much part of it. And I think that makes the novel, again, a bit more complex, that a lot of the kind of basic plot of Gatsby, this innocent young man who strives to get the object, the woman he loves, and then fails doing that, this kind of tragic story. That's the story that Nick tells us. And I think there are enough hints in the novel that this is not true. Actually, I really started liking the book as soon as Gatsby appeared. The title is really justified, in my opinion, because before that, I hated everyone in this novel. Maybe it's just a selection of books we did for the past couple of episodes, but Wuthering Heights, Wolf Hall, The Talented Mr. Ripley, The Great Gatsby, they are all books about horrible people. And I know that I gushed about Wolf Hall, but at least it's an interesting, horrible person there. And in Wuthering Heights, at least people try to be a bit better. There's none of that in the early passages of The Great Gatsby. And then Gatsby appears. And he's so nice. I hate him almost as much as everyone else. No, no, no. At first, I thought he was really nice. He's jovial. He calls you old sport. And I he hated smiles that at you. even more. <laughs> no, no, no. But at first, he's charming. And then only later do you realize that actually he's just as big, if not a bigger dickhead than everyone else. Thank you. So I was, I was suckered in by his charm at first. But even that, that charm is basically just because Nick tells us that he's charming. Well, I guess it worked on me. <laughs> Compared to Tom Buchanan, even Donald Trump would be... No, hang on. Hang no, on, no, hang no, on. no, 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 no. You know what? Let's come to the best and the worst. Or the green light and the floating dead in the pool. 
Actually, one of my favorite parts is the description of the party because it's often portrayed as just this lavish, jazz age, uh, bosom up. But I think there's a lot of interesting detail in the description of the parties, especially, for example, the detail about the, the guy with the glasses, Owl Eyes, who's so drunk that immediately he crashes his car and then he tries to drive on and he can't understand why he cannot go on anymore. The descriptions of the characters that almost reminded me of a Thomas Pynchon novel with the weird names and how bizarre they are. And, and I, I really like the atmosphere that this is a great party that you want to be at, but at the same time, it's the kind of party you really don't want to be at. I think my favorite part is, again, something about America and the American dream, that Gatsby's house basically is just as him an imitation of old wealth. He lives in this neo-Gothic mansion that looks like it was disassembled somewhere in southern France and then reassembled in a wild mix-and-match manner in the US. And you know what? Maybe it was, because they used to do that kind of shit in the 19th and early 20th century. I really like that his house was just as fake as he was. What's the worst for you? For me, the worst was the anti-Semitism. Ah, dang it, I wanted to say that. <laughs> okay. So we both agree that Fitzgerald's anti-Semitism is just jarring to see. It is. There are some kind of awkward descriptions of African-American people, but he seems to have a lot more sympathy for them. And yeah, at least there's one African-American character who is just, you know a normal guy who witnesses an accident and then gives information about what happened. But definitely we agree that the description of the only Jewish character of the novel, Mayor Wolfsheim, who is this fraudster who Gatsby works with, is just horribly anti-Semitic. Fitzgerald basically makes fun of his speech, makes fun of his looks, makes fun of his character. Makes mention and fun of his nose especially. And then Nick goes to his company and it is the Swastika Holding Company. Yes. Now, of course, this was written in 1925, but still, reading it now, you're thinking, no. So despite all these unfortunate aspects, Jonas, after reading The Great Gatsby for the first time, do you think it is actually any good? I was really prepared to come in here and be the iconoclasts and say the style sucks, the characters suck, I don't want to read about horrible characters anymore. And then as I was finishing the book, I got so engrossed by it that begrudgingly I have to say, yes. Yes, it really is very good. And it is very short, so you can read it in a day, basically. It is really quite, quite very good. I wanted to come in here and be the iconoclast as well and say, well, I read it once and it wasn't that great. And then I reread it and there were so many aspects that I only now understood and there were so many things that I only now saw in their complexity so is really good it's sometimes not very subtle and there are the things we mentioned that make it icky at times but and I think Fitzgerald has such a nuanced view on this particular American society that is actually still relevant to a terrible degree nowadays but Jonas is there another book that you would like to recommend to our listeners that maybe is, if not as good as The Great Gatsby, good in some other aspect. Actually, I want to recommend a book that is better than The Great Gatsby. <laughs> and it was published in the same year, and that is Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. It is rather similar in a lot of aspects. It, it also takes place at a party attended by rich upper-class people, 
The book also shares the theme of a man longing for a person who he was once sort of engaged to, but then the engagement was broken off because he wasn't wealthy enough. Also, the book is a lot more complex than The Great Gatsby with multiple perspectives on the 20s, and it is one of the greatest books ever written, in my opinion, that you definitely should read as well. My recommendation was written a decade or so after The Great Gatsby, and it is basically not the sorrows of the old or new money. It is from a working class point of view. It is The Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West, which deals with the American dream in the 30s, in the time of the Depression, and at one place that is in particular the focal point of the American dream, Hollywood. And it is much more unsubtle, much more violent than The Great Gatsby. But the kind of gall, the vitriol that West has for the American dream makes it also a really good read. And this is the first instance of a bumbling character named Homer Simpson in US pop culture. So The Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West. And not really a recommendation, but a shout out to Kate Beaton, whose great Gatsby comics on Hark a Vagrant I reread before recording this. And she basically makes all the points we made, except much more concisely and in a much more funny way. So what do you think about the great Gatsby? Is he really all that great, or would you also shoot him while he's in his swimming pool? You can tell us at our email address, outside of a dogcast at gmail.com. You can also write a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can rate us five huge goblets of champagne and subscribe there as well as telling all your friends about us, please. You can follow us on Twitter at Outside of a Hound. And you can find us on Patreon. If you support us with $1 a month at patreon.com slash outside of a dog, you have our undying gratitude. And we can finally get that mention on West Ham. For $2 a month, you not only get our gratitude, you also get a Christmas card. And we might throw in an interview or two with um, people who have their own opinions about the books we read. If you want to get bonus episodes every month, you support us with $5 a month and you get our adaptation series where we discuss adaptations of this month's book. This month, we're going to talk about the 2013 Great Gatsby directed by Baz Luhrmann. And for $10 a month, we can afford to buy more alcohol and we can get so thoroughly drunk that we can even tackle... The biggest of them all, yes, the bard himself. We will do a series called Slosh Shakespeare in which we drunkenly discuss the plays of William Shakespeare. So subscribe, rate, recommend and patronize us and come back next month when we will be discussing, and this is a genuine surprise, I do not know what he's going to say, because we have talked about the horrible nature of American society it's basically no big surprise that we will continue talking about it and we're going to read The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Oh, that's the that's the uh, Korean film, right? Uh, with, the, with the, you know, the, the, yeah? I apologize in advance for us having penises. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. 